Well, hello everyone. Happy Memorial Weekend to all of you. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want to thank you for joining us. I want to start off today, I want to share with you a story. Uh, Two guys were sitting at a bar having a drink and just talking about life when the topic of religion came up. And the friend says to his friend, he says, man, don't talk to me about religion. I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. He says, I I bet you 20 bucks you don't know the Lord's Prayer. And so the friend took up that challenge and he straightens up and confidently he says to him, he says, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And his friend looks at him, raises his eyebrows, takes the $20, gives it to him and says, I didn't think you knew it. (laughs) Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll be here all day. Truth is, not many people know the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you know it and that you can recite it, but many of us don't really know the different parts of it and what each part means. That's why I'm excited that we kicked off this series on the Lord's Prayer last week. And we look at Matthew chapter 6 where our Master Jesus teaches us how to pray. Here's what it says in Matthew 6. Verse 9, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you missed last week's message where Pastor Gary kicked it off, I encourage you, please go back and and listen to that message where Pastor Gary explains to us what it means that our God is a Father in heaven. And he he explains what it means when we pray, hallowed be your name. You can catch that on our website or our YouTube channel. But today I want to look at the second part of this prayer, which comes in verse 10. And I want to ask the question, what does it mean when we pray, your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do we mean when we pray that? Before we get into the Lord's Prayer, let's stop and ask the Lord to teach us how to pray. Will you guys join me? And so, Lord, we thank you so much that you taught us, you modeled for us how we ought to pray. And, Lord, I pray that you would teach us now exactly what you mean When you say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, show us not only how to pray that, but show us how to wrap our lives around such a prayer. Show us what should be happening in our hearts, what should be going on in our minds. And God, I pray that we would make this a regular prayer of our lives. And I pray that it would truly form the way we act the way we see, the way we go about life. God, I pray you teach us in this moment. Lord, would you be our teacher? May I just be an instrument that speaks, but Lord, may we all be your students, God. And I pray that as I deliver this message, Lord, once again, I pray that nothing I say would be successful, nothing I say would be powerful, nothing I say would stick, unless that which is true. We pray, Lord, that it would all be from your word, breathed by your spirit, straight from your word. So, Lord, we give this time to you. We give our hearts to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So what do we mean when we pray this prayer? Well, first of all, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying for the expansion of his kingdom on earth. So if you're taking notes, write this down. We're praying for the expansion, the extension of his kingdom on earth. So if we're going to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we have to ask ourselves, well, what's it like in heaven? And in part, I would answer by saying, well, in heaven, there is a book called the book of life. And in the book of life, there are names written in it of people who will one day inherit eternal life, people who have put their faith in Christ as king. Here's what Revelation chapter 20 tells us, verse 12. John in heaven, he gets a vision. He says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. In Revelation chapter 13, it tells us that the names written in the book of life were actually written even before the foundation of the world. Even before they came into existence, their names were written in the book of life in heaven. Meaning God in his infinite and perfect and sovereign knowledge knows every single person who will one day be part of the kingdom of God. And yet here's the reality. The reality is that there are some names written in the book of life. And though it may be known in heaven, currently that person may not be living in that reality. In other words, that person who may be right now written in the book of life may not yet be living like Christ is their king. In fact, they may not even know Christ. They may have never heard the name of Jesus yet. And so when we pray, God, may your kingdom come, we're praying, may it come now on earth as it is already written in heaven. As you guys know, the kingdom of God is anywhere where God is king, anywhere where Christ reigns as king. And if Christ is the king of your heart, then his kingdom has come to you. You are a citizen of the kingdom. And so praying your kingdom come is a way for us to pray, God, now would you take the kingdom and expand it beyond me, extend it beyond me to somebody else who does not yet know Jesus Christ as their king. It's praying for Christ to reign in the hearts of so many other people who are not yet surrendered to him. And so my question is, who can you be praying for that the kingdom would come? to their lives and to their heart. What's their names? For me, that prayer sounds like this. Father God, may your kingdom come to Uncle Alex's heart. Father God, may your kingdom come to my buddy Mike and his wife Karen. Father God, may your kingdom come to my neighbor Muhammad and his entire household. May your kingdom come to the unreached mayor people of Cambodia. May your kingdom come to the unreached working class of Taiwan. May your kingdom come. And so who, who can you be praying for by name to know the forgiveness and the grace and the kindness of King Jesus? Pray for them. Lift their name before the throne and ask the king to bring his kingdom. 
And as you daily pray for them, you, you might want to ask God and use me as a link in the chain to be a part of connecting them to the kingdom. Some of you guys might know Tammy Psyche, who is one of our worship leaders here at South Bay Community Church. And back in March, she had emailed me asking me to pray for her cousin Yuki. Now, Yuki lives in Chino Hills. She's a Christian who attends church in Chino Hills, but every once in a while, as as often as she can, Yuki will travel all the way to the South Bay to join us on a Saturday night for worship. And I remember the first time I met Yuki in person here at the church, I also got to meet her husband, Mike. And I learned that Mike wasn't a Christian. I learned that Mike, in fact, grew up in a Buddhist family. His mom's a devout Buddhist. His brother Bill is a Buddhist. And Mike himself would pray Buddhist prayers, the morning prayers and the evening prayers. And yet Yuki, because she loves her husband, has always had it on her heart to extend the kingdom to her husband. And she would pray that he would be part of the kingdom of God, that Christ would be his king. Yuki told me that Mike is a thinker, so he needs facts. He needs logical reason if he's ever going to believe in anything. And so he was open to investigating Christianity by watching Christian documentaries, and he's willing to meet up and talk with Yuki's pastor there in Chino Hills. Well, on March 30th, when Tammy, our worship leader, emailed me, she asked me to pray for Yuki because Yuki got really sick. And she had pneumonia-like symptoms. So Yuki had to be admitted to the ICU. She was sedated and intubated and had to be put into a coma. She got hooked up to a ventilator. And at one point, she was on it at 50% because she couldn't breathe for herself. This machine had to breathe for her. And it seemed like on certain days, her conditions were getting worse and worse. Well, understandably, her husband, Mike, was devastated. I would be too. And there were days when he could not eat, and there would be days where he would just sit on the bedroom floor just crying because he had heard stories that a lot of people who had passed away from COVID-19 had complications with pneumonia just like Yuki was experiencing, and he couldn't help but to think that, that his wife, too, would pass. He was absolutely devastated. Well, when I reached out to Yuki more recently, I I emailed her to see how she was doing and how she was recovering. And here's what Yuki wrote to me in an email. She wrote this. She said, on Thursday morning, Mike got a phone call from his brother, Bill, who's a Buddhist. Bill told him while doing his morning prayers, a voice came to him telling him he needed to tell Mike it was time to get off the fence and make a decision because of what I, Yuki, was going through. He hung up the phone and he called Pastor Ed. Mike said he got down on his knees and lifted up his arms and prayed with Pastor Ed. Yuki said to me, she says, I believe that this is what my husband needed to finally take that leap of faith. And he did while I was sick with COVID. He is now a Christian. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God that by God's power and grace, I'm happy to tell you that God physically healed Yuki. And by God's power and grace, he spiritually healed Mike. He has forgiven Mike of sin. 
Christ now reigns in Mike's heart, and the kingdom has come to Mike as it was already written in heaven. Some of you may know that the word corona actually means crown. Corona means crown, and, and I, I love the fact that our God is so powerful that he can make corona his crown, and that it becomes a vessel for his glory, that he could use corona to display his power and his might, the might of our almighty king. And so for those of you guys who are citizens of the kingdom, Already, by God's grace, somehow, somewhere, by someone, the kingdom of God was extended to you. Now, how can you pray that now it gets expanded beyond you? Who is that person? Who are those group of people? Who are the unreached that we can lift up by name? And I want to say, don't give up. Start praying for them or persevere in prayer for them. For them, don't give up and daily pray, Father, may your kingdom come and ask for the expansion of God's kingdom here on earth. And so that's one thing that should be going on in our hearts when we pray the Lord's Prayer. But not only should we be praying for the expansion of God's kingdom on earth, the second thing we should be praying is for the consummation of his kingdom in eternity. Would you guys write this down? Here's the second thing we're asking for when we pray this. We're praying for the consummation of his kingdom in eternity. And so once again, we ask the question, well, what is it like in heaven? What is it like in heaven right now? Well, in this very moment, there is no darkness in his presence there is no sin or sickness. There's no competition or corruption. There is no evil or wickedness. There's no racism or rudeness. There's no tears or terrorism. There is no depression or despair. None of that exists in heaven right now. But we got it here on earth. It's all around us. And these things make life on earth miserable for so many. And so when we pray, God, may your kingdom come on earth, as it is in heaven, we're praying essentially, God, would you get rid of all things evil and all things toxic and all things harmful and all things miserable? God, would you make this place perfect? And that's not wishful thinking. That's praying the promise. That's praying the promise of God that one day Christ will return and he will consummate his kingdom on earth. He will finalize and complete his eternal kingdom on earth. Revelation chapter 21 and 22 tells us about how one day when Christ comes and he establishes his forever kingdom once and for all, the, the current heaven and the current earth will replace, be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. Let me read you Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1, it says this. John, who gets a vision of the future, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. <laughs> okay. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard the loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, 
and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Hallelujah. So when Christ returns to this earth again, and he establishes his eternal kingdom, all evil will evaporate. All cancer will be canceled. All tears will be wiped away. Homeless, the elect homeless will finally find a home. The saved orphans will find their ohana. The dead who passed, whether naturally or tragically, will be raised to life in Christ. And more important than anything else, above all else, Christ will reign as king, Lord over all. Above all, Christ will be king. And so when we pray, Father, your kingdom come, it's in part saying, yeah, Christ, extend your kingdom here and now on earth. But secondly, it's also praying, God, come and complete your kingdom for all eternity. Complete your kingdom in the near future. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And a lot of people will ask me, they see Revelation 21, verse 1 that I just read, and they'll say, Greg, aren't you, aren't you going to be sad that there's no ocean in heaven? That there's no sea, it says it right there in verse 1. Aren't you going to, are, are, are you going to be okay that there's no surfing? And, and all joking aside, you know what I say? I, I've come to realize, hey, if heaven is that perfect, and it's so exhilarating, and so life-giving, and so joyful that God doesn't even feel an ocean is necessary, as life-giving as it is here on this earth, if he doesn't feel it's even necessary, then I'm good with that. It's got to be that good that I'm not even going to miss surfing or regret that there's no ocean because it's that good. And if there's anything better than surfing, I'll take it. I'll take it. And so for those of you who, who ever think, I, I want Christ to come, but not just yet. I hope he doesn't come too soon because I still got a bucket list. There's still things I want to do. I still want to get married. I still want to have my own kids. I still want to see my grandkids grow up. I still want to go on that cruise or travel to those countries. I hope he doesn't come just yet. I want to say, I think you're missing the point. I, I don't think you get it. And I want to encourage you, let's not be distracted by lesser things and let's focus on the greater things to come. Let's yearn for his return and for the things of his future kingdom. It's kind of like this. Uh, when my son Evan was 13 months old, we took a trip to Asia to visit family. And we were in Taiwan and we took him. Uh, to a theme park. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the Disneyland of Taiwan, the magical kingdom of Taiwan. And at the time, Evan was just learning to walk, and we were excited to see how he was going to respond and react to the to the to the rides and the attractions and the caricatures and, 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 and all the things that were available in this theme park. And there was a moment early in the day when we were waiting for the rest of the family. Some had to use the bathroom. I was playing with Evan, and he had found this small patch of grass, right? It was probably like a four-by-four four piece of grass. And 
because Evan was just learning to walk, he had never walked on grass before. We lived in a townhouse, and so we didn't have any yard. And so when he stepped on it, he was like, wow, like, what is this green, crunchy stuff? And he, he just could not leave this patch of grass. And, and when it was time to go, I was like, Evan, let's go. Like, I'm going to show you something so much more entertaining than this. But he didn't want to go. He's like, no, 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 no. And he was like, wow. He's fixated on this piece of grass. Then when we finally got him to go, there's another part of the theme park where there was these two concrete steps. And he had never walked up steps before. This is the first time. And he's like, Whoa. And he would walk up the stairs, and then he would walk down the stairs, and then he would walk up the stairs, and then he would walk down the stairs. And I'm like, Evan, let's go. There's, there's rides. There's, there's, there's rides that will take you so much higher than this. And he would not leave. And no, 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 no. And he just wanted to stay at the stairs, up the stairs, and down the stairs. I'm like, Evan, you're missing, you're missing the kingdom, the magical kingdom. And then we got to this part in the park that's so cool. It's kind of like it's a small world. Like literally, it's a small world. There's miniature models of all the great wonders of the world. They, they made models of the Great Wall of China and, and, and Mount Rushmore in the U.S. and the Eiffel Tower in France and the London Bridge in, in England and, the, and the, the pyramids in Egypt. And I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm like, this is amazing. And we, we took Evan to these different models of the world, and at each station there, is, there were these boxes, like painted blue and yellow, and you push the button, and there's kind of like a, a narration, right? They give you kind of an audio tour of what you're looking at and give you some facts, and we would push the button, and the lady would tell us about what we're seeing, and Evan was so fascinated by this talking box, like, he could not, like, get over the fact that this box is talking to us right now. I'm like, Evan, look, look at the, the wonders of the world. And he just would not take his eyes. He's like, how is it talking? How does that lady fit in that box? And he was just so fixated on this box. And I'm like, man, Evan, like, like we brought you here to experience all that. And he fell in love with the things not worth falling in love with. Things that don't give you as much joy or as much thrill or as much happiness as everything that was meant to. And I share that with you guys because I want to say don't get fixated and distracted by the lesser things on earth. Because even the greatest things here on this earth, even the greatest things here are lesser than the great things to come, to all that is in store for us when Christ ushers in his eternal kingdom, things that are truly worthwhile, truly amazing, truly life-giving. And so let's fix our eyes when all things will be made new, when the old has gone and the imperfect is wiped away. And heaven and earth will once again be as God himself describes it. It is good. It is very good. I pray that we would pray this prayer and yearn for the joy that awaits. God, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven.
And so when we pray this, your kingdom come, we're praying for the expansion of God's kingdom on earth. We're praying for the consummation of his kingdom in eternity. And finally, when we pray this prayer, we're praying for devotion to his kingdom in everything. Would you write that down for the third thing we're praying for? We're praying for devotion to his kingdom in everything. So once again, one last time for this message, we ask, so what is it like in heaven? What else is it like in heaven? Well, in heaven, God's will is perfectly carried out by those who serve him. God's desire is obediently and reverently done. His will is done. Right? The angels who serve him in his presence, there's at least a couple things we know the angels do. For one, the angels give him glory. Right, we read in Revelation chapter 4, as the angels surround the king who sits on the throne, what are they crying out? They're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In other words, they're crying, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. And so they're giving him glory. The second thing I know that they're doing is they're making his glory known. Right? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 tells us this about the angels. It says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Right? So the word angel in the original language, which is Greek, angelos, it, it literally means messengers. And so the job and the ministry of the angels are to be messengers of the kingdom of God. They go and, and relay the messages of God to those who will one day inherit salvation, to those who will one day glorify God themselves. So their ministry is to those who are yet to know the kingdom. And that's how the will of God is done in heaven. They give glory to the king, and they serve to make the king known. And so what should we be praying here on earth? As his servants on earth, we should be praying, Father, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, may may we do what your servants in heaven do. Father, help us to do your will obediently and reverently. Help us to glorify you like the angels do. And help us to bring your message and serve others like the angels do. And so when you pray this part of the Lord's prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, One thing that we are doing is we're acknowledging to God, God, I have a will and you have yours. I have desires and you have yours. But not my will, but your will be done. And it's making a decision, God, your will be done. And like the angels in heaven, help me to be about your will here on earth. We, we learned this prayer is not about you getting what you desire. It's not about God giving you what you desire. Prayer is about us giving God what he desires. Prayer is not about trying to get God to serve our agenda. It's about us declaring, God, we want to serve your agenda. It's God, I'm willing to lay aside my ambitions and my desires, my decisions, my actions, my will, if it should ever get in the way of me carrying out your will. 
it's not about me, God, it's all about you. And it's not to say that our needs aren't important. And it's not to say we should never ask God for anything we desire. Remember, God is our good father. We learned that last week. And in fact, next week, we're going to learn how to pray for daily needs like bread. So God cares about what we need. But what, what Jesus is saying right here in the beginning parts of this prayer is he's reminding us that there's something so much bigger, so much greater, so much more significant, so much more eternal going on. And that's the glory and the holiness of our king who sits on the throne. He deserves glory and he needs his glory to be made known. There's something so much bigger than us going on right now. This is the will of God. And I ask you, is there anything, anything that matters more? I remember when I was in college, one of my friends got a job. He landed a job out of college um, at a big company called Deloitte and Touche. Deloitte is, is one of the big four accounting firms. And, and I remember when he shared that with me, that he got this job, I remember thinking to myself, man, he made it. Like, he made it. He, he's going to be successful, and he, he's going to make a lot of money. And I remember saying to myself, I want to I make it like that one day. I want to make it like him. And I had this ambition in college that when I got out of college, I wanted to have a competitive salary and I wanted to to keep up with all my other high achieving friends who are so smart and who are bound to be successful. I want to make sure I'm up with them. But as I shared with you last time I spoke in my last message, when I finally graduated college, God was doing something in my heart. And he had set my heart on fire. I was so on fire for making Jesus known specifically among the the homeless population. And I started doing more ministry to the homeless. And I remember um, I worked with this organization where I would host different church groups and do inner city mission trips. And one weekend, I decided to take my own church out to the inner city. And I distinctly remember that, that Saturday morning of that weekend, I brought them to Skid Row, and I broke up our group into several groups, smaller groups, And I gave him an assignment. I said, for the next two hours, I want you guys to go out, find somebody you can take out to breakfast, sit with them, and talk with them, and see if you could share Jesus with them. And so I I sent them out into the inner city of L.A., and I told them, meet back here in this spot in two hours. And as they went out, I I just had my own time. And as I was waiting for everybody to, to come back and reconvene, I remember sitting there near Skid Row. And I was sitting there on the street in the asphalt on the sidewalk looking up and enjoying the day. And as I sat there, I looked up, and right in my line of view was this huge L.A. sky rise, this high rise. And at the top of that building was the word Deloitte. And that was a powerful, defining moment for me because as I sat there, on the dirty asphalt there in Skid Row, serving the homeless, and I saw that, that high rise, I thought to myself, I could be up there for the rest of my life, making money and making a name for myself, or I could be down here for the rest of my life, making a name for Jesus. And I, I remember this, just this overwhelming contentment, dissatisfying peace in my soul, saying, if God should call me down here for the rest of my life to make Jesus known, I'm good with that. 
I'm good with that. And don't get me wrong, if God called me up there for the rest of my life, I'm good with that too. I'm good with that. But wherever God calls me, I knew that no matter if I was a successful businessman or a missionary to the inner city, that my life had to be about this, about the Father's will, about making him known, glorifying him, and extending his glory. Because does anything else matter more? Nothing else matters more than this. At the time, I was about 23 or 24 years old, and in my room, there was this whiteboard, this dry erase board room in my, in my room, and across the top, I wrote in dry erase marker, I said, nothing else matters. And that was, for me, a daily reminder. Every day I woke up to face the day to remind myself, nothing else matters more than that which is eternal. Nothing matters more than the kingdom of God. And no matter where God calls me in life, no matter what job I land, I have to be about this. This is the Father's will, to make known the kingdom of Christ. Man, I was so on fire back then. I remember those days so clearly. And it's interesting that during this lockdown, I found myself praying, God, Ignite my heart on fire for you again. Set my heart on fire with passion like that. If you were to read my daily prayer journals, you'll find it in just about every entry I've written. But you know what I've realized? I realize that we, we don't set ourselves on fire, do we? Like I can't muster up passion in my own heart. I can't set my own heart on fire. How many of you guys know that in the Bible, when a sacrifice was made and laid on the altar as an offering to God, that sacrifice didn't set itself on fire? In fact, if they could talk, I'm sure the lambs and the bulls would be like, nah, peace, I'm out. You're not sacrificing me. I'm sure they would run off if they could. And yet, if that sacrifice would just remain there on that altar, someone will come and set it on fire as an offering to the Lord. And I share that because when we decide to die to ourselves and die to our own ambitions and our own desires and our own goals, what we're doing is we're presenting ourselves on the altar as living sacrifices to God. Here's what Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing of your faith you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And what it's telling us is that when we present our lives as living sacrifices, something happens inside of us. Our mind is renewed. Our hearts are transformed. And we begin to truly know the will of God, his good and perfect and acceptable will. And our lives become conformed to it. We become about it when we offer our lives as living sacrifices. And I'm wondering if I should change my prayers just a little bit. And instead of praying, God, help me to be on fire for you. That maybe I should start praying, God, help me to be more surrendered to you. God, help me to be a living sacrifice for you. God, your will instead of mine. Your glory, not mine. Your agenda is greater than mine. 
I believe, friends, that if we would die to ourselves and present our lives as living sacrifices, and we are people who are about his kingdom, people who live to carry out his will, to bring him glory, and to make his glory known, I believe God will meet us at the altar, and he will set our hearts on fire, ignite our hearts on fire for his kingdom. So church, may we be committed to stop praying, my kingdom come, my will be done, and start daily praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you guys pray with me? And right where you are, maybe you're in your living room or maybe you're in the car, wherever you are, I want to I extend an invitation. Because I realize some of you listening right now, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've never declared him the king over your life. So wherever you are, I want to encourage you, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand right now. This is what's cool. You're in the privacy of your own space right now, maybe your own living room. But raise your hand and, and pray with all your heart that God would come and reign in your life. The Bible says that if you believe that Christ died for your sins to forgive you, and you believe that he rose from the grave to prove that he has the power to give life, that faith is enough to bring you into the kingdom. That faith is enough to give you eternity with your king in heaven. If you believe by faith, you will be saved. And so pray something like this. I want to lead you in a prayer. And with your hand high, declare this to God like you mean it. Father God, thank you so much for your kingdom. And today, I want to say to you, I want to be part of it. God, thank you for extending the invitation to me. Thank you for allowing me to hear this good news. I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. Lord, I am not perfect. I've messed up. But forgive me. And I pray that you would now help me to live like Christ is King. Help me to surrender my life to, to Christ. Help me live not for my will but for yours. And be with me all the days of my life and lead me into eternity. I give my life to you. Thank you, King Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.